Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Uh, welcome to episode number 32 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here with the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and everywhere else that you uh, usually find this program. Now, this week, I uh, got something a little bit different, and I feel like I've been starting, like, almost every time I hit record, I feel like I'm starting with... It's going to be a little bit different this time, but... uh. Now, here we go again. <laughs> this one's going to be a little bit different. This isn't going to be like the usual format for uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths episode. We're not going to be discussing a particular issue, uh, so I won't be basically just repurposing a blog post this time around. It's just been a, uh, a busier than normal uh, couple weeks here at the palatial Chris State. Um, got several projects I'm working on for grad school. Uh, we're getting ready for a business trip uh, that'll take us back to New York City for a couple days. And this week alone, I'm going to be going to two funerals, which sucks. Um, uh, so that you know, just there's going to be a lot of family stuff going on. But uh, I still didn't want to, you know, not put anything out today uh, because yeah, this is like a respite for me. It's something I enjoy. It's cathartic. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to talk to myself and not be looked at like a weirdo. So it's a, it, it helps me, is what I'm trying to say, and I didn't want to miss out. Um, especially since we're back to the bi-weekly schedule, I didn't want to, you know, not put a Chris's on Infinite Earth show out for a month. So what we're going to do today is, a, it's going to be kind of like an off-the-cuff conversation. Uh, it's something I've been threatening myself to do. I wanted to share stories... Like, personal stories with a particular comics property. Um, since I started the Remarvel show, I've really had an itch to do that with the X-Men. Just go through my X-Men fandom and just share stories, because it's really interesting that I've shared a couple of stories on, on Remarvel on this program, and it never uh, ceases to amaze me when someone reaches out and tells me that something I said was something they could relate to. And, uh, you know, collecting comics creating comics content, it's a very lonely thing. And you feel kind of like it's just you and, uh, you know, you and your long box, or you and a microphone, or you and uh, a, a blank blog page, you know. But when you actually reach out to the community and have them reach back and, and share their stories and just how much, uh, you know, intersectionality there is between all of us, no matter where we grew up, when we grew up, how we grew up, it's... It's just really, uh, it really warms my heart to know that, uh, that, you know, we're not alone. And so many of us have these similar stories, and so many of us have these similar situations that we got so excited about, or we got so bummed out about. And I, I just, I, that's that's kind of becoming the reason why I, I even bother with comics anymore, is because of the stories behind the actual stories. Just uh, how these, uh, these, you know, Fictional characters and fantastical worlds and situations have affected us all, and how they've affected us all in very similar and in very different ways. Uh, you know, just the other day, I, I reviewed, or I discussed, I don't know if I review anything, but I discussed X-Men Volume 2, Number 8 on the previous Remarvel, Remarvel Episode 2, which is in the archives. And in that, I said that my first X-Men book was uh, X-Men Volume 2, Number 13, and a good friend of mine reached out, uh, Jody, and he said, uh, you're never going to believe this, but X-Men Volume 2, Number 13 was my first issue as well. And it's just, you know, it's weird, because like, you take yourself back, and I can, you know, picture us both at our respective comic shops picking up this same book, maybe on the same day, 
and just how that shaped both of our fandoms moving forward. It's just really cool to think about stuff like that. And it um, it really helps to get me excited about this hobby again, because I tell you what, looking at the comics news for everything that's coming up in the next year, oh boy, talk about, you know, letting the air out of a balloon. I mean, there is just no more deflating feeling than it's like, oh, well, we're going to replace all of our heroes with their kids, and oh boy, it's... I, I just, uh, I don't know where my, you know, current year fandom will be uh, in the next few months, so... We gotta take whatever we can to keep excited, and in doing these programs and in uh, working through these projects, it's really uh, reinvigorated my, uh, you know, my love and passion for these properties, and uh, has helped me to uh, disconnect current year from what I hold dear, uh, and and not feel like I have just a room full of. Uh, you know, f- fire hazard. <laughs> it's actually stuff that I love still. But that's Marvel, and this is a, you know, DC-focused program, so I do want to talk about uh, one of my very favorite DC characters, uh, and one that I'm actually going through a little bit of a crisis with today, and uh, that is, uh, I'm, you know, the picture's going to be up, the The title is going to be Superman, so you're, you know that I'm going to be talking about Superman. And uh, we're going to be going through my fandom, you know, uh, I, I'm only going to leave this to comics because, you know, of course I knew who Superman was. I knew a lot about his trappings. I probably owned a couple of issues of Superman because, you know, back in the 80s, comics would just appear in your house. You would just have them or somebody would give them to you or whatever. So I'm sure there were a Superman or two in that uh, in my little bundle or stack or whatever you want to call it. But I'd never started actually collecting uh, Superman or DC as a whole. You know, I grew up a Marvel kid. It's... Uh, I've well documented it. I've probably said it way too much <laughs> over the course of my career as a podcast journalist. But uh, I, I did grow up a Marvel guy and uh, never really cared for DC. I always thought DC stuff uh, looked boring, looked old, um, just looked out uh, of out of touch. You know, I'd, I'd pick up an issue of Superman randomly, and rather than seeing him fight uh, like a like a A list B list villain, he's fighting like an anthropomorphized flower, or a lizard man, or a generic alien, and I'm like, why am I going to waste any time reading this when I could I could pick up an issue of X-Men and see them fighting Magneto, or I could pick up an issue of Spider-Man and see him, you know, fighting Sandman or Hobgoblin or whoever. It's just, the stakes just seemed so much higher, and there was a real sense of urgency and uh, a feeling like everything mattered over in Marvel. Uh, everything sort of built upon itself, where I feel like I could read, you know, a lot of Superman stories out of order, and it wouldn't matter, you know, because it was all the same sort of thing. It was a a monster of the week. There was, there'd be a, uh, the possibility of his, uh, if Lois uh, in discovering his secret identity, and at the end of it, everything would go, you know, right back to normal, and we'd get a wink at the camera, you know? it's It just seemed like it seemed irrelevant. It didn't seem like it was building upon anything. It didn't feel like it was building into a lore. It was just a, you know, it was like an episode of Power Rangers or something. There was just no real continuity to it. It was just the big villain comes, you fight the big villain, and you move on to the next month. At least that's what I thought it was. I mean, I never actually gave Superman a chance. It was just my projection of what I thought these comics were going to have. I didn't really care, you know? 
I figured if I was going to read any DC book, it probably would have been Batman because uh, he had cooler villains, you know. Um, it wasn't just a mad scientist or, you know, a robot. <laughs> it actually was characters with uh, that were interesting, and uh, it felt like they were higher stakes. But I didn't really read Batman either. I just didn't read anything uh, DC because I am very much an all-or-nothing kind of collector and reader. And I, I, if I'm going to dip my toe in, I might as well just dive in, is, is the way I look at it. But that all changed. I, I did... I did finally come over to checking out DC stuff, and, you know, being a card-carrying, fake-ass comics historian that I am, I think, uh, this is just me projecting, but I think we like to put ourselves above a lot of the speculative sort of, uh, you know, uh, milieu of uh, collecting. I think we like to think that we're, or at least I like to think that uh, we have a, we have, you know, more intellectual tastes or more uh, def- more defined taste where we're not going to be taken in by a gimmick. <laughs> you know, it's like a, like a fool me once sort of a situation. You, I, I always feel like I'm above that kind of thing. But, you know, what brought me to Superman to begin with was the death of Superman, which is the height of <laughs> speculation, you know? It was, uh, it was a matter of wanting to be part of history and wanting to be... Wanting to, you know, of course I wanted them for the potential value. Not that I was ever going to sell them, you know. It was just a matter of being able to say I had something valuable in my collection. You know, it kind of legitimizes my long box. You know, there is something in there that's valuable. And then when, you know, aunts and uncles come over and they see that I'm reading comics, they can ask, hey, do you have anything valuable? And I can honestly say yes. You know, instead of like, no, 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 you know, or running for the wizard to... <laughs> To say, well, this one's worth $3, and then have them be like, wow, that's great, <laughs> you know? But uh, I wanted to have stuff that was valuable. And uh, and also, I wanted to know exactly how they were going to kill Superman. I, I didn't know much about, you know, what his weaknesses were outside of Kryptonite, and didn't really care. <laughs> but um, but when this story hit, I was uh, my interest was piqued, and I jumped in. And, you know, a lot of these stories I've probably told before, I just don't remember where, so I really can't tell you to check out such-and-such episode in the, uh, in the archives. But that was, uh, this was 1992, and the, uh, the death was announced, uh, I, th- I believe for the first time, in a, uh, edition of New York Newsday, which I was a paperboy for. So I actually delivered the paper that had, uh, the death of Superman in it, which is pretty cool in a way. Um... Because I, I remember it was on the bottom part of the... You know, it was below the flap. Or below the fold uh, of the paper. And uh, and it was just so weird to see something from comics uh, in the newspaper or anywhere outside of a comic book. It's not like today where... I mean, you can't uh, you can't walk into a Walmart without being you know knocked over by comics uh, stuff. I mean, I was in Target the other day, and in their dollar section, they had foam Captain America shields. I'm like, where were those when I was a kid, right? Uh, I couldn't I couldn't find uh, anything like that. I couldn't find T-shirts. I couldn't find ball caps. I couldn't find action figures, because you just... I mean, Marvel had, like, PVC action figures when I started. It was just a totally different world. So to see Superman not only in the newspaper, but, like, actually on the cover of the newspaper was a huge deal. And it really made me uh, feel like like history was happening, 
You know, I feel like a lot of us have that kind of history envy. You know, we want to be part of something. I think that uh, influences a lot of uh, the decisions that we make uh, from time to time. But in in learning about this and, and find discovering this and being able to be, you know, the, the nerdiest Paul Revere in the neighborhood running around telling my friends, hey, they're killing Superman. You know, I was actually in the know for like five seconds. It was pretty cool. And uh, we, we run down to the comic shop to find out what the what our, you know, comic shop owner, who we would look at as the, you know, the apex expert on comics and comics news, and he would have all the answers, even though he, you know, didn't know a whole lot more than we did, uh, which he, you know, he plainly told us he didn't know a whole heck of a lot more than we knew. But within that day, he already had a subscription plan set up for the death of Superman. And uh, it was like, it was cover price plus like 20 bucks to hold it. Because this is back in the day when hold boxes weren't um, necessarily something that would just be offered. You know, it would be a subscription service. You'd pay for the uh, for the service. Uh, they'd you'd pay for the privilege of having them hold the books for you, so they wouldn't sell out. And uh, back in 1992, this was actually a fear we had. Uh, again, I've told these stories before, and I'm going to try not to preface every sentence with "I think I told the story before," but I can't promise that I won't. Uh, uh, Savage Dragon number one uh, We were all in on the image stuff I wanted to grab this And there were no copies in town Zero And uh, that kind of changed me from being an image completionist Right there It's like okay I'm not doing this every single time But the death of Superman was one of those things Where it's like this is going to sell out And uh, my buddy was able to wrangle the money To get uh to put the money down you know to get the subscription service he uh didn't have to worry about where he was going to get the issues uh whereas i did i i was uh i was unable to come up with the money and uh it's not like i didn't there were, there were no like there was this wasn't like a principled stand <laughs> against uh you know it's like well you're extorting me it wasn't anything like that it was more a matter of i just couldn't come up with it you know there was no way i was going to be able to ask for uh boy i don't remember what it was because it was all of um it was all the death it was all the funeral and uh man and it was plus like 20 bucks so it was probably i don't know like maybe like 40 50 dollars total and i mean when you're you know 11 12 years old that's video game money you know that's (laughs) you know i can get super mario 3 for that uh (laughs) so it's it's weird to ask the parents for uh for that kind of money for, for comics that, especially when I wasn't going to be getting them all at once, you know, it, it's, it's just my weird way of justifying or, or not justifying, uh, really, really pushing hard for it. But also, you know, I, I didn't think it was impossible. I, I, I figured I'd be able to at least follow along partially with the storyline. Um, I did wind up getting every single issue on release day, except for one. And that one was, a. Uh, the Action Comics uh, issue. It had, uh, man, I don't remember the number, 695, 694, one of those. But it had uh, had Superman and Doomsday fighting in front of a Metropolis, uh, like a like a Metropolis 15 miles away sign or something like that. Uh, so that's that was the issue I couldn't find. And I remember going to the shop that day, and the shop owner was standing there, Big smile on his face because I wasn't able to get the book, and it's like, wow, you're you're kind of an ass. Uh, <laughs> I did manage to find it that weekend at a uh, at, at a trade at a baseball card shop, a sports card shop uh, at the mall. But uh, 
it was a it was an experience, and I do remember that night uh, when I couldn't find the book. I was just so bummed out, and I thought, okay, this I'm never gonna I'm never gonna find it, you know, because nobody nobody expected that the bottom was going to drop out, or at least I didn't expect that the bottom was going to drop out so much on the industry, and that these things would just be everywhere. Uh, these were, you know, a premium at the time, and uh, just didn't figure that I'd ever get it, you know. But uh, I did, and I managed to stay through. And uh, here's another story I've told before. Uh, the day that The Death of Superman came out, I made an arrangement with my mother to uh, to go down to the comic shop a couple hours before they opened because uh, I was so sure I was going to miss out. And I was like, All right, you know, I need you to go... Uh, because it was a school day, and I couldn't, you know, take the day off of school, or at least I wasn't allowed to take the day off of school. I would have if given the opportunity, but I, I was not given the opportunity, and so I asked my mother to go, and she did, and she actually went a couple hours early before the shop even opened, and there was already a line uh, going to like to the street, and uh, the comic shop that I shopped at or that I frequented was. Uh, I usually describe it as being like the size of a, an industrial closet or like a janitorial closet, and it, it very much was very very small place. And uh, the way she uh, the way she you know described it, it was just a, a madhouse, just trying to get this one this one issue. But you know, I did read it. Uh, I got both the uh, the bagged version and the newsstand version that day. Uh, also, the uh, you know the follow up of the epilogue in, in Justice America Justice League of America. 70, maybe 70, 71, but, uh, I, I did get it. And, uh, it was one of those books that actually evoked a bit of emotion from me. Um, which was weird because like I said, I didn't know a whole lot about Superman. I wasn't invested in the character. I wasn't, uh, wasn't really invested with his, with his trappings or his environment or his cast. Um, this was more of an event situation. So, I really didn't. I wasn't. I shouldn't have been as invested as I was. But in reading it, and and you know, this is back in the day where my comics collection was like in the double digits. You know, I only had like twenty, thirty, maybe forty comics. So you'd reread them over and over again, and uh, especially when you're when you're getting like a part two, you go back and you read part one and part two, and then you get part three and you go one, two, three, and you go all the way through. Or at least I did because I'm. I don't know, obsessive, insane, I don't know. But in reading the entirety of The Death of Superman, um, you come to realize, or I came to realize, uh, what he stands for. You know, he he is a symbol of hope, and uh, he is more than just a superhero. Uh, You know, so it really affected me on that level, where it's one of those situations where you don't know what you have till it's gone, and I had dismissed and disregarded Superman for my entire life at this point, and it was only when they took him away that I realized what he uh, what he stands for and what he represents. And it was very it was heartbreaking. It was very very sad to uh, to to realize that, and and also realizing that my all the friends that I had that were reading the same thing came to the same sort of revelation at the same time. So it's it makes me figure like a lot of people who came into this story simply at a speculatory level or out of, you know, morbid curiosity, they might have actually walked away from it thinking like, wow, this is this is something I ignored for so long and this is what it took to tell me how special this character is. 
and, and I, that just really uh, is something that that kind of stuck with me. And uh, and I remember we we got through the funeral for a friend. Uh, that one that one didn't sell quite as well as the first part. I didn't miss a single beat of that. Um, I mean, there were stacks of that on the shelf. I think a lot of people checked out after uh, Superman 75. I think a lot of people were just like, okay, got the one that's going to be worth something, and uh, who cares about the funeral? He's not even going to be in it. So it was uh, easier to come by. Um, and, I, and I did enjoy it because it was, uh, it was such, a, such an interesting, and I don't know if I'm giving the creative you know, forces behind it too much credit, but... It was like the perfect way to dip my toe into DC, into the DC universe because all the superheroes converged on the funeral. So it was like the first time that I was seeing certain characters. You know, it's when I was introduced to you know Booster and Beetle and uh, and Guy Gardner and and Hal Jordan even uh, Wonder Woman. I'd never read a Wonder Woman comic before. Even Batman. I you know I knew who I knew a bit about Batman. Had a few Batman comics, but actually seeing him. As kind of a, a background character or a side character or a complementary character, I should say, in this issue. And we had the new Robin or the new-ish Robin and Tim Drake. It was just a real ingenious way to introduce um, the uninitiated reader or maybe the maybe the, 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 the curious eye coming from Marvel, you know, into these characters. You know, Aquaman. I, when, did, when would I ever read an Aquaman comic, you know? <laughs> so just seeing these characters all together... Really helped to uh, really helped to just illustrate what the DC universe was, and uh, was my initial introduction to a lot of these characters. And it's kind of that you know uh, stuck in amber moment for me, where I look back and I think about the perfect iterations of my characters, and it, it, a lot of them come from this era because it's when I discovered them, and it's when I I kind of. Fell for them, you know, and uh, it's the and it's funny because I mean this is all post crisis, so none of it is quote true <laughs> as to what they were originally supposed to be or what you know adventures they originally had or whatever. But it was just what really it's what I focus on, and anything that isn't that is one that I kind of give side eye to and be like, okay, well that's not quite right according to me and according to how I discovered these characters. So. Really, really brilliant way to uh, to piggyback off of something that was going to get a lot of curious eyes, you know, just really, really smart thinking to introduce the entire DC universe to people who are just there for the investment or out of morbid curiosity. But then the funeral ended and uh, we, you know, Superman went away. You know, the titles went away, which, I mean, think about that now. You know, um, of course, we see that sometimes with like Fantastic Four will go away or Thor will go away or Thor did go away a while back. But I mean, Superman is like the cornerstone of, uh, of an entire universe. And for, you know, th- I think it was like three months, there were no Superman books. It's just so weird to consider that they would just do that. And uh, because it, I don't think that anything like that would ever happen today. You know, if it, quite the contrary. I believe if something like that would happen today, we would have, like, weekly one-shots at five or six bucks a piece to see, you know, how is Batman dealing with Superman being dead two weeks ago? <laughs> or or how, is, uh, how is Maggie Sawyer dealing with Superman being dead? Or how is Perry White dealing with it? I think we would just get, like, overkill of... Uh, actually, they could probably... They could probably call the one-shot initiative overkill, and <laughs> it would fit in just fine. 
But, you know, it did go away after the funeral, and um, I, at this point I had stopped collecting uh, Diamond Previews. Uh, I, I had picked up Previews several times because I just loved the bulky size of it. I thought it would look really cool on a bookshelf. And at a time where I the only, you know, bookshelf comics I had were like a handful of volumes of ElfQuest, I wanted anything I could have to put on a bookshelf, so... For a little while, it was like ElfQuest and Previews and maybe like Garfield were my, uh, was my big comics bookshelf. But I'd stopped buying it because uh, it was just too expensive. Um, I think it was like, at the time, it was like $1.95, which to me was like a comic and a half. So it's like, am I going to buy a catalog or am I going to buy a comic and a half, you know? And so I stopped buying Previews, so I didn't really follow when uh, the return was going to happen. And uh, so when it did finally show up, Adventures of Superman number 500, it took me by surprise. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. I was at a comic shop called Comic World uh, on Sunrise Highway. Uh, this was uh, 1993, so uh, this was like at a time where I could walk at like two miles in any direction from my house and I could I would always find a comic shop you know there were comic shops everywhere there were like three on Montauk uh, Montauk Highway one on Sunrise Highway or Montauk Avenue what the hell was it called I don't know Main Street um, <laughs> out in uh, out in Oakdale and Sayville in Idlehour but uh, there were comic shops everywhere you know everywhere you went there were comic shops and uh, I was at this one right next door to like Pizza Network I think it was uh, Comics World and they had this, uh, they had a little short box full of uh, distressed comics, uh, as we can put it here. Just really, really poor condition, like sub-reader condition comics. And among them was uh, a, a bunch of Uncanny X-Men from around the 160s. And I, it just, you know, just seeing something that old. And they were a dollar each. And uh, it blew my mind because... I was trained to think that these things were worth major money, you know? And I didn't mind the poor condition. It's not like I was ever planning on selling them. It was just a matter of having them. And uh, I remember I picked up three of them. And right after I paid for them, I saw Adventures of Superman 500 on the shelf. And I was like, oh, man, I just spent all my money on these. And uh, (laughs) and the guy behind the counter, like, begrudgingly, he's like, he, he, he kept the three uh, X-Men comics and he gave me the Adventures of Superman. He's like, there you go. Um, I did go back and buy those ramshackle uncannies a, a little while later. I still have them in the long boxes somewhere. But that's, uh, that's how I figured out or I found out that they, that Adventures number 500 was, uh, was on sale. And I remember going to that same shop and seeing all the, uh, the die-cut covers uh, introducing the four, the Reign of the Superman uh, characters, and it was just a very huge comics week, because they all came out the same day. Uh, they both had, they, they all had two covers. It was just, it was one of those moments where it's like, wow, this is history. You know, it's like I'm part of this comics history because I'm here today. And uh, I had eventually, I, I would eventually buy all the newsstand versions, because the die-cut ones were Way, 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 way too rich for my blood. <laughs> I, I've since bought all of them. I believe I paid a quarter each for them. But uh, at the time, it was just like, okay, I just need to know what the story is. So I didn't really care about the, the special die-cut covers. But here's the thing. I didn't stick around long. Um, I kind of fell out. 
because uh, it was just the it was it became a situation where I had the conflict of interest. I was going to buy either four X Men books or four Superman books. I I could probably buy like all four of one. I could probably buy like six books a month. You know, <laughs> maybe five or six books a month, but. I'm all or nothing, so it was just a matter of, okay, well, I can have all of these, or I can have all of these, but I can't have both, and uh, so Superman did not make the cut. Um, the I felt like the Reign of the Superman kind of meandered a little bit, uh, and it just didn't feel as special, you know, um, which it bummed me out, because uh, I thought I was becoming uh, a Superman fan, uh, just in, in earnest, where... I guess without the you know looming specter of the big event, uh, you know, there hanging over our heads, it just didn't seem like it was a must reading. And I mean, the X Men were <laughs> they were no better at the time. I mean, it was a lot of uh, a lot of meandering, a lot of uh, just uh, water treading. But uh, that's who I came to the dance with, you know. So that's who I left with as well. And I didn't. I kind of lost touch with Superman. I you know after he came back. Um, uh, you know, as the you know the real steel deal or whatever, it was just like okay, <laughs> here we go. It's back to back to business as usual. Nothing to see here, and uh, so I really didn't keep up. I, I, but I did have uh, a new pro, a newfound appreciation and respect for the character, and uh, and especially the creative teams because you know I credit Dan Jurgens with changing the way I look at comics. Uh, he showed me that comics could be you know something something more than just you know, someone in a cape punching someone else. It's a. This is what kind of informed what I what I see when I think about comic books, and I, and I, I had the opportunity to tell him that a few years ago, and uh, because I think without without the death of Superman, I, I don't know if I would have remained in the in the hobby as, as long as I have, because it did really show me the potential that comics have in in evoking emotion and telling a story that. Sticks with you, and really, just it's one that you just can't get out of your head. Um, I'm trying to think. I probably mention it <laughs> half the time I'm on the air. I, uh, that that book or that run or that era will probably come up in conversation, and it's not like I'm trying to do it. It's just something it's hard not to do for me because it is just such a seminal moment in my in my fandom. But uh, you know, after he came back, I lost touch, jumped headlong into the X Men. Uh, or back into the X-Men and just uh, kept with that for a while. Um, I told the story here uh, during the the Adventures of Superman 500 and something episode, the Electric Blue episode, where I talked about my move from uh, New York to Arizona. I talked about dipping my toe back in to the Superman family of books here just because he was Electric Blue, and I didn't know what the hell that meant. You know, I didn't know how they were uh, how they were going to do this, how they were going to make this change work. And it uh, turns out um, I, I wasn't terribly interested in that either, at least then. You know, back in the day, in 1997 or whenever it was that I read that book, uh, I really, it didn't do anything to capture my imagination. It was just a curiosity. And it was a different kind of curiosity than the death. Because I looked at it, and it's weird, because the death is, it's like 100% gimmick. You know, it was it was so much gimmick. But I look at it more as a story, whereas... The electric blue thing I look at as almost 100% gimmick, you know, where that was kind of more of just a story, but I look at it as a gimmick. It's it's weird the way that, uh, you know, the dissonance in, in my head about the two stories goes. I do have a, a greater appreciation for it now, 
having gone back uh, in subsequent years and, and read through it, just as a you know, just as an interesting like milestone or mile marker, I guess, in a Superman's life. It's just it's I don't know. It's just, it's hard to explain. It's something that I would recommend people read, but I wouldn't tell people that they're going to love it. You know, it's just something that I think you should just have a little bit of an understanding of a passing, a passive understanding of, in order to just, I don't know, just put it in the context. Because it was a, at the end of the day, it was a blip. A lot of people kind of lost their minds over it at the time, uh, which definitely did stoke my interest. But uh, it just didn't, uh, it, you know, it was just a thing that happened. It was a blip. <laughs> Everything was back to normal before. Before all that long um, Which is kind of when I started to come back I had absolutely fallen for Ed McGuinness's take on Superman I, I'm not much of an animated series guy uh, I, You know, even like the Batman one that I can, I can tell you that What is it? Objectively, it's, it looks like really, really sharp It looks really cool I just never really cared for it. I never really got invested in it. I'm sure I watched a whole bunch of it, but I never really... I couldn't tell you a single thing. I, you know, I remember, like, the Joker had, like, a little tune that played in the background every time he showed up that was pretty neat. But uh, otherwise, I really couldn't uh, couldn't really point to an instance where the animated series kind of informed the way I look at the comics. And I, I basically dismissed them. I, I have attempted to revisit them probably, like, 10, 15 years ago, and... Yeah, they still didn't do a whole lot for me. But the Ed McGuinness take on Superman was like this weird blending of just like bombastic animated series and uh, classical, you know, comic book storytelling uh, sort of art. And I just totally fell for it. It, I, it just captured my imagination. He was just this big, huge, broad, larger-than-life character. And uh, really just, it was just such an inviting look. You know, it felt different. It felt new. It felt fresh. Um, and I mean, even fresher than him being in a brand new electric blue costume. This just felt new. It felt like something shiny that I wanted to actually read and, and take part in. And I was uh, I was reading Wizard at the time a lot. Uh, Wizard was kind of my gateway back into comics after my move. Uh, because it just, it was kind of a catch-all. I could kind of follow up on stories without actually having to buy every single book. Um, it's kind of a half-assed way of doing things, but you know, when you're when you're trying to decide whether or not you're going to get into something, it's it, there are worse ways to do it. And this was before we had wikis and uh, and you know as deep an internet as we have today. So I, I used Wizard a lot, and a lot of the rumors were that there was going to be this brave new take on Superman uh, with uh, guys like uh, Grant Morrison and Mark Wade uh, at the helm, and uh, that was the Superman 2000 proposal, which. I've actually, I'm actually working on a script right now for an episode of Weird Comics History where Reggie and I are going to go through the original pitch for uh, Superman 2000 and uh, and talk about, you know, our thoughts on it and compare it to what we got instead. Uh, that one's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to, to putting the finishing touches on that one anytime now. But uh, it turned out there was a brand new take on Superman. It just didn't involve any of these guys. This was the... Uh, the uh, Jeff Loeb, uh, Joe Casey, Joe Kelly, uh, Mark Schultz, I think J.M.D. Mateus was on there for a bit. But it uh, it was a, a departure from, you know, the Jurgens stuff, which, you know, I love Dan Jurgens, But uh, I, think he, I think he was kind of done with Superman. 
uh, around the turn of the century. I think he was just, he told his story and uh, and he told plenty of stories, plenty of great stories. But uh, I think he I think there was some there was definitely some uh, it, it was showing its age. You know, the run. I don't think anybody should have that long a run with a, with a character, or at least at the helm of a character. So uh, he stepped aside, was moved off. What I don't even know how it, how it went down, but uh, he was not there anymore, we'll just say. And these new writers came in, and they took Superman on this uh, in this new direction. And uh, it, there was a, it was aesthetically different, you know? Metropolis wasn't just New York during the day. It was now a city of tomorrow after the B-13 virus with Brainiac, where it literally became a city of tomorrow, and it just gave it a totally different aesthetic, a a very inviting aesthetic where it's futuristic, but at the same time, like, uh, relatable in a way because it it is on, you know, prime Earth, and it's a... it was just a, a lot of fun, and I, and you could tell it was different at a glance from Gotham City or from Keystone City or from any other city in the DC Universe, which, you know, one of the problems I had was that, you know, we had all these fake cities with all these possibilities. You know, you're not talking about St. Louis, you're talking about Keystone, you know, and so there are, there are different, there are, you, you have no limits as to what you can do with these cities, and for the most part, nothing special was done with them. It was just like, oh well, here's like the Wayne Building, or here's a here's a building with with a giant L on it for Lex. They didn't do anything altogether unique or novel with the cities, and I, I felt like that was a missed opportunity more often than not. And here we are with Metropolis being a city of tomorrow, which I know a lot of people didn't like, but I, I loved it because it just gave it a different look, and it was something I could look at and at a glance know where I was, you know, where where these characters are playing, and. Uh, and I just, I loved the the art teams there. It was like this sort of manga influence all the way across the board with these guys, and it was just great. I, I loved it. It just felt so different, so new, so fresh, and uh, because Superman and, and, like I said, a lot of DC stuff always felt kind of old to me. And this was a sign that that was not the case anymore, just at a glance. And very early into this run... Um, uh, Jeff Loeb and company would introduce or reintroduce a lot of what they were calling on on the old Usenet. Uh, as they were they were referring to it as SAS, which stood for Silver Age stuff. Uh, they didn't like the reintroduction of a lot of the uh, Silver Age trappings um, because it was flying in the face of the post-crisis continuity. It was a uh, return to Krypton was a storyline, and. Uh, it just changed. Uh, it changed a lot about the character. At the time, I had not the foggiest idea what the post-crisis or crisis origin was for Superman. I didn't really care, um, which I guess is a good thing and a bad thing. It was, I guess, it was good in a way because it, what I was learning didn't really frustrate me so much. And especially if it was going to be the status quo going forward, it didn't hinder my ability to appreciate and enjoy the comic. At the same time, though, not knowing. Uh, it kind of took the oomph out of the re- revelations to me. Like, when you see that, you know, it happened one way instead of another, to me it was just like, oh, well, this is just something that happened. Where these other folks who were more seasoned fans, uh, they had a more visceral, visceral reaction to these changes. It was like, wow, they're really changing things, and this is a big deal. Where I didn't see it as a big deal. Which, you know, like I said, good thing, bad thing. <laughs> just a thing that is... But uh, I, I stuck with it, and uh, I mean, we went into Our Worlds at War, 
uh, which I thought was a fantastic story. It was one of the first, uh, I think, no, actually, I think it was the first DC story that I made sure to collect every single part of. Um, picking up books I never would have picked up before. I think there was like a Harley Quinn uh, issue. There was like an Orion issue. Uh, Birds of Prey, I think that might have been the first Birds of Prey comic I got. Either that or Bruce Wayne Murderer, one or the other. It was one of the crossovers. But uh, I was just picking up books I never would have picked up before. And uh, really just found my way uh, through the you know post-2000 DC Universe. I was starting to be introduced to characters. I was learning about characters. I found out that... You know, the Wonder Woman from the Golden Age was actually Hippolyta. You know, the, all those little those those little nuances and details that I would have never known before. That just made made everything feel grander. And uh, and being a sucker for lore, that's just uh, you know my bread and butter. So it just became a real good gateway for me to to invest in the rest of the DC universe. And being the all or nothing guy I am, and uh, now with a disposable income. Uh, it was just... <laughs> I've got a lot of cool stuff from, like, 2001 to 2003. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. I bought just about everything on the shelves, which, in hindsight, I'd like to punch, you know, 21-year-old Chris in the face for it. But, uh, you know, he can't change the past, so what are you going to do? I, I stuck with everything. And uh, then we had uh, we had identity crisis we had infinite crisis everything was starting to shift you know everything got a little bit darker uh the world of tomorrow was changed back we had like majestic from wildstorm showed up and everything went back to normal it was a very very strange time uh but i stuck with it you know i, I thought you know I'm, I'm in for a penny and for a pound i'm gonna stick with it uh then and, and I hate, like I say, we as as fake ass comics historians, we like to put ourselves kind of above, you know, the the regular fan, you know, the the casual, the the filthy casual fan. Chuck Austin came on the book, and I, you know, I, whenever there's like a hive mind online, I think it's instinctual for for me to kind of try to go against it. But sometimes the hive mind's right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Chuck Austin on the X-Men was kind of a mess uh, But I, I wanted to fight through <laughs> And see it for something better, you know Then he came on to Superman And it was just like, wow, this is just This is different, you know It just didn't feel like the Superman I had been reading And, and around this time Maybe a little bit before this time, actually They did, like, Superman Birthright Which was yet another retelling of the origin I'm thinking, like, we, we just had one of those it's it's like well which one is re- and now now it's like I'm starting to get invested and I'm starting to develop you know my perfect vision for for this character's origin because I, I read the Return to Krypton thing so I was kind of getting things I'd I'd gone back and I'd read Man of Steel so I was kind of picking and choosing what everything was gonna be and where everything was gonna fit and then we have Birthright and it's like something altogether different it's like how many of these do we need <laughs> you know and that kind of Brought me back to the feeling that I could read these things in any order. They don't matter. Uh, these are just stories. They're not a. Uh, they're not an overarching anything. These are just stories, which really made me divest. It made me really see them as interchangeable and, unfortunately, missable. You know, I didn't need to read everything. I didn't need to buy everything. And uh, as an all-or-nothing guy, it's. I buy all of it or I buy none of it. So 
you know, Chuck Austin's there. We have the birthright stuff going on. And I was just like, okay, I think I'm just done for now. And I stopped collecting. I think uh, I might have actually kept collecting the Superman Batman series that uh, Loeb and McGinnis were doing. That might have just been more for the art. Um, but at least for the first bit. But I just really didn't care after 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 a very long time. Then, you know, Infinite Crisis happens, and everything gets very weird. Everything gets very strange for the character. We have uh, Adventures of Superman turning back into Superman, Volume 2 going away. It, uh, Man of Steel was long gone at this point, so we were down to two titles. And uh, I did come back briefly after Infinite Crisis. And the Clark Kent I met was a geek. He was just a complete nerd, just a bumbling idiot that I had never been introduced to before. You know, I'd never seen Clark as anything but good at his job, um, socially apt. You know, he was able to deal with people on a personal level. And uh, here he is, you know, bumbling, stumbling, uh, being picked on by, you know, the returning Steve Lombard. And I really just didn't care for it. Um, yeah, we had the Up, Up, and Away storyline which I think ran for 7,000 parts, only three of which anything actually happened in. And one of those three had Superman, like, single-handedly taking out all the villains from the post-crisis world, you know, like Silver Banshee was there, uh, uh, what the hell's that dude, Bloodsport was there. It, it was just a real middle finger toward, uh, to me anyway, to fans of the post-crisis stuff, which I had at that point become. I, I considered myself a fan of all the post-crisis uh, Stuff, and to see it just so so dismissed uh, in like a like two pages in up up and away, it's just like come on now. That, that feels like a, it feels like a statement is uh, is being made there, and I didn't quite appreciate it. But uh, the thing we had from there is we we kept pro- getting promised that we're gonna have this definitive origin story told, and it never was. We went f- like three years. Before we had an origin story And uh, I mean there were some good stories Peppered in uh, Like Last Sun was in there Which was pretty cool If it ever actually came out uh, it, it was one of those where I mean they had to do fill-in arcs In that story Because they just couldn't get the story out And I remember uh, Picking up bits and pieces of that And uh, enjoying it And also there was like the, the Superman and the Legion Run that came out in action around that time And I remember enjoying that too but it was just so spotty, and it, there were these weird fill-ins, and it, it just felt like it, back to the original thing. It's like, this doesn't matter. You know, if it doesn't matter to the people creating it, why, why is it going to matter to me? And then I'm reading all this stuff with this looming presence of, oh, we are going to tell an origin eventually. So I'm reading, and I'm thinking, how much of this is even going to make it through the next origin? And it's just very, very fatiguing. It's very, very defeating. Especially, you know, I like I say all the time, I'm really into the lore And to find out that what I'm reading right this second might not matter in two months Or may have never happened in two months Or might have happened a different way It's just so easy to divest And I really, uh, I felt like uh, I was kind of doing the hokey pokey with uh, Superman and, and DC overall at that point Because it's like I get in and I get out I get in and I get out And it was... Uh, I don't think that's the way I, That's not my way as a fan Which put me in a very strange position You know um, 
Superman's Secret Origin finally does happen, and... Oh, boy. Um, I know a lot of folks like it. Um, I, I was with it until the last page of the first issue, when... When Clark comes downstairs wearing the Superman costume and acting very, very embarrassed. Sure, that makes him look like a, like an actual kid. You know, that makes him look like a kid who would be embarrassed to be out in, in tights and a cape. But I like to think that Superman's, you know, not just a regular kid, you know? He's not Peter Parker. He's not, uh, he's not just a normal child. He's, he's supposed to be with his chest, you know, out. He's supposed to be... Just proud, and uh, to see him not, kind of, kind of, kind of ruffled me the wrong way. To be completely honest, I get so hung up on that scene, I couldn't tell you anything that happened after it. I know I read it, <laughs> I read it a couple times, but I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened because I just get so stuck on that scene, and I just hate it. It just doesn't seem right to me. And, and again, sure, it's it's the way a real kid would react, but Superman ain't a real kid. You know, he's never... I don't think he should ever be portrayed as, as you know, like the Peter Parker, real kid sort of situation. But it was what it was. Um, and then Superman left again. He, he left. There was the new Krypton storyline, which I tried getting into in earnest because it was one of those promised, you know, this is where you jump on. You know, this is, uh, this is the story going forward. We're going to reestablish a bunch of stuff. Everything's going to be kind of on the table. And... Uh, I jumped in, and I felt instantly lost. And uh, I felt like there was just no specialness to Superman anymore. If there's all these Kryptonians, and I feel, you know, there's that old joke that like the only people that died in the in the, the doom of Krypton was Superman's parents. And now we can't even say that. I mean, <laughs> we can't even use that joke anymore. But uh, just so many Kryptonians, and there was just. I don't, I don't know the story they were trying to tell. It felt like part political intrigue, which, you know, I mean... Eh. <laughs> Does every comic need to be political intrigue? Do we need every comic to be darkened war rooms with a, you know, a wall full of monitors? Do we need that, really? It's Don't we, don't we get enough of that? Doesn't Bendis write like 700 pages a week with that same kind of crap in it? It's just a little bit too much, and... Uh, wasn't the Superman I wanted to read, so I didn't. Um, which only makes the next part even worse, because when he came back, he did so with a lot of pomp and circumstance. J.M. Straczynski came on the book, and uh, Reggie and I discussed this storyline in long form. I believe it was episode 75 of the Cosmic Treadmill in the archives. This is, of course, Superman Grounded, the worst Superman story ever written, the dumbest Superman story ever written. Maybe the, the, the worst DC comic ever written, and that covers a lot of ground. This was just the worst. I hated this with a passion. And and on subsequent rereads, because I have covered it on the blog, and we did do the episode of Treadmill, I hate it even more every time. It's just the worst. Superman is... He's an asshole. He is just not the character that he should ever be. He's, he's like a villain. <laughs> he's just not good. I mean, he's... There's, in that first issue, uh, 701, I mean, he sends a kid into a drug den to threaten them. He he plays along like he's going to let a like a suicidal jumper jump. And when questioned if whether or not he was actually going to do so, he doesn't answer, which tells us he probably would have let her jump and end her life. Uh, he gives this rambling speech 
about uh, about what heroism is and how he doesn't consider himself a hero to some just some dude watering his lawn. Oh man, he, he threatens some aliens that he's gonna come back and deal with them who are just trying to live their lives. It's just it's the worst portrayal of Superman ever. I mean, he, oh god, it's just the worst. Um, if it ever gets worse than that, I, I don't want to read it. Not even out of morbid curiosity. I would never want to see anything worse than Superman Grounded. Um, and then you know we have the New 52, which I guess was kind of a mercy killing. <laughs> because the uh, the Grounded scenario was just garbage. Um, and to think that had DC had their way, and the New 52 took off and stayed flying as long as they wanted it to, and really redefined the DC universe the way that they intended it to in the five minutes it took for them to write it, um, Grounded would have been the last Superman story ever for uh, generations of fans. You know, that would have been it. And to go out with such a whimper, and with such a middle finger to everyone who cared about this character... Just so, it's just such a disservice to to people who have, you know, kept the lights on at DC Comics. You know, the people who have paid for the writers and the artists, and just to get a giant middle finger with Grounded. And and I've never met anybody who's who's liked Grounded. And even in this age of like ironically liking things that suck, just to be the devil's advocate and be like, well, actually, I I don't really hear much about Grounded, which is weird. I expect a lot of people to kind of come around to that in the you know, Rob Liefeld's actually the most talented artist kind of way, you know? Uh, but I haven't heard much clapback on on much of my grounded uh, <laughs> dissertation. But, uh, hey, maybe that'll change today. But I maintain that that is the worst Superman story ever, ever created, ever published. But into the New 52, um, heartbreaking, heartbreaking stuff. Uh, uh, Action Comics was set five years before the uh, New 52 because they were still set on that ridiculous five-year timeline that they could never make work. But uh, that was him as like a punk, a punk kid, just like an unlikable bastard, uh, which made him fit with the New 52 because so many of those characters were unlikable. Um, they were just jerks to one another. Uh, just not a good uh, not a good take, in my opinion, for, uh, for Superman. Um, then we have the, the other book, the George Perez book, just Superman. And, you know, you could have... Uh, it could have been a continuation. The first, like, 21 pages could have been a continuation from the post-crisis or post-infinite crisis or the nebulous interim, whatever you want to call that period of time, until the last page where you find out that Lois and Clark are no longer married, never were married, and she's dating some dude, and... Heartbreaking. <laughs> For a generation of fans, you know, just the, the wind being sucked out of your sails at that point. Now, I want to say that I stuck with... Uh, the Superman books for probably five or six months post-New 52. I think that's what I gave a lot of the books I was trying out before I ultimately dropped them. I, I wound up dropping everything uh, DC except for... I think I still kept up with Batman, uh, Teen Titans because I'm an idiot, and uh, Justice League because Justice League was like... Uh, that was like a top-flight book uh, during that time, in my opinion. But I, I did drop the Superman books, which... You know, I've, uh, it's just another instance of the hokey pokey. You know, I was in, I was out. And uh, it was like out of sight, out of mind. I really didn't care much about anything that went on. And I remember reading about a lot of the strife backstage uh, where 
you know, editors weren't telling writers what stories were going to be written in either book, so nobody knew what what weaknesses were, what relationships were. We didn't know if the parents were dead. We didn't know where Lois came from. We didn't know anything. Uh, and the people who did know weren't telling, and unfortunately they weren't telling each other. So nobody really knew what was what. And uh, so when that gets translated into a finished product, it's kind of a mess. And uh, and it's, it's an instance where it is kind of like interchangeable stories, but at the same time trying to build a lore, but really only doing it half-heartedly, which was really difficult for me to garner any interest in, and I just walked away completely. And I missed out on... Probably two years of Superman stories at that point. Uh, the only time I had actually seen him was in Justice League. And uh, in Justice League, he really wasn't the star very often. Um, so it was just like he was just another character there, you know? And it was the it was all the fix I really needed. It was like, okay, well, I have a book with him in it. It's fine. I don't need to... I don't need to collect these other books, especially since they were renumbered again and... The idea that Action Comics got renumbered was something that kind of stuck in my craw for a bit. No, still, I guess, <laughs> for longer than a bit. But uh, it was uh, just enough. You know, I didn't didn't really follow uh, after those first few issues. But I did come back with uh, the arrival of uh, Jeff Johns and John Romita Jr. Uh, that storyline promised new things, and... Uh, it answered, it actually, the first few pages actually answered a few questions because, you know, we did learn that, you know, Superman was killed by Doomsday. You know, there was there were these, like, it was like a wall full of, like, newspaper uh, head, you know, front pages in the halls of the Daily Planet. And you saw, like, okay, Superman did die at the hands of Doomsday because nobody was able to say whether or not he did or how he did or what Doomsday was. And, oh, man, just such, the whole thing was just such a disaster. Just uh, a real... Exercising, you know, eating your cake and having it too, and uh, that just that just doesn't work. Especially if you're gonna be, there's like this weird dissonance in specificity. It's like, okay, now we're gonna be all in, but now we're not gonna be all in. Now we're all out, but now we're kind of back in. It was just so wobbly, and uh, I I just don't know what kind of business sense any of that makes. Uh, I, I look at comics as a whole as kind of like a long con. You know, you're you're trying to get people invested so they stay, and you're not going to pull. You, you're going to delay pulling the rug out from under them for as long as you possibly can. But in those those heady New Fifty Two years, it's like there there were no rugs because they were all just yanked up. You know, it was all the floor was lava at that point, and uh, it was painful to, to try to live through. But uh, I you know I came back for those Johns and uh, Ramita. Uh, stories and uh, eh, you know they were okay. <laughs> they were nothing special. I uh, didn't hate them so much, but uh, I didn't love them either. Uh, it just felt like okay, well, this is going to be important. And this was around the time that like Future's End, that weekly book was coming out, and there was always that kind of glimmer of hope that we were going to return to something approximating the. To me, real DC Universe at the end of that Or somewhere during that Or there'd be a glimpse of it or something And then we had like the Doomed storyline Which kind of had visions of different worlds Which kind of got us excited Got me excited for what was to come And if only I knew it was just Convergence, you know Which sucked For the most part, for the most part But, uh in, Well, actually, you know what? We can jump right into Convergence Because that's the next time that, uh 
that Superman kind of loomed large for me, and that was uh, the Dan Jurgens written Superman two-parter, where he and Lois are together. It's the real Superman and Lois, the post-crisis version that uh, I had, you know, I had always attributed as being the version uh, for my entire reading time, and they they have a son, they have John, and it was just such a bittersweet uh, two-part story because. You know, you felt like you were getting something, but at the same time, we were losing something. Because I think, you know, regardless of what they say, I think this was intended as a, as a final farewell. This was, this was like fixing the toy before putting it back in the box and never taking it out again. So, And I think that's what a lot of Convergence was. Uh, it was part, you know, let's cover our tracks while we're making a cross-country move. Uh, you know, we have to have something to put out. Uh, and at the same time, it was like, well, you know, we might as well throw a bone to these people who are kind of annoyed at us. And uh, and that's what they did, you know. And they gave us these some of these really, really great stories with uh, where we got to make peace with the fact that uh, a lot of these characters were forever going back in the box. And, you know, that was... It was nice in a way, but at the same time, it's, you know, kind of a half-middle finger, I guess. <laughs> it's like, well, we still want your money. But uh, we, we're not going to give you what you want. But from there, we actually did get an announcement that there was going to be a real Superman comic, uh, the Lois and Clark book, which I was so, so excited for. That and Titan's Hunt were both announced, I believe, at like New York Comic Con back in, I want to say like 2015-ish, 2015 probably. And I was just so psyched uh, that familiar versions of the characters that I love were coming back. And and, and the book delivered. Uh, Lois and Clark was just a wonderful book. Uh, if you take out a lot of the Oblivion Stone stuff, uh, just such a great uh, reunion with these characters that, uh, that we loved so much. And uh, seeing that they have moved on and they have a son and the fact that they were kind of always in the background of the New 52... And kind of experiencing it the same way we did, you know. They see these new characters, and it's like, well, they're 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 a little bit colder, you know. They're not as nice. <laughs> they're not. Things are a little darker here, and I think they were echoing a lot of the sentiments of the lapsed fandom or the former fandom at that point, uh, where it was just like, you know, there is something here, but it's just not. It's not what I want. And uh, here they were actually giving us something that we wanted, and then. We hop right into into Rebirth, which is still a, a thing that's... Uh, I, I don't know if it's still that initiative or not. I know we've got other initiatives coming, and I couldn't even hazard what they're going to be. But uh, Rebirth happened, and that was, uh, that, was, that was it for me. I was all in. It was back in. The numbering was back for Action Comics. Uh, we had a couple of great teams in, uh, in Tomasi and Gleason on one side, and Jurgens and I believe Zercher on the other, and... It was a, it was like a real uh, homecoming. It was a, it was a return to form for the Superman books. Uh, I do feel like the Tomasi Gleason book focused maybe a little bit too much on John than uh, than actually Clark Superman, you know. But uh, they managed to kind of massage everything into working, you know. We had the uh, Superman Reborn, I believe it was called Superman Reborn. Uh, that storyline that went across a few issues of action where. You know, Mixus Pitalik was involved, and we kind of melded everything together where, you know, the Superman, the post-crisis Superman was also sort of the New 52 Superman. He wore the stupid collar for a bit. But it, 
it was satisfying enough because to me it showed that they were putting effort into making everything work and everything make sense and everything fit. And, you know, I'm, I'm into lore, so I need everything to work. I need everything to fit. And uh, just the, the fact that they were doing that uh, meant a lot to me as a, as a fan and as a, as a loyal DC fan. It was showing that they had some loyalty to me. It also made it so I had to go back and fill in my entire Superman New 52 run because now it suddenly all mattered, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and especially, you know, we skipped all those numbers in Action Comics to bring it back to Volume 1, or whatever volume you want to call it, the one that's in the 900, was in the 900s when they brought it back. So I had to go back and I had to fill in all those action issues from New 52 so I could have that, you know, quote-unquote, full, uninterrupted run. And uh, I did just that. I think I, my in- uninterrupted run of Action Comics goes back to... Like the the high four hundreds right now, so it's so I've got you know over five hundred in a row, and uh, it's one of those that uh, it'll be very difficult for me to ever quit now, which kind of brings us to our next uh, and final stop on this uh, Superman and Me retrospective, and that is the Brian Michael Bendis run, which, eh, you know. Uh, <laughs> They announced his uh, his signing exclusively with DC, I believe, like, t- t- November of 2017, October of 2017, so like two years ago. And, I, you know, it's weird. I'm a fan of Bendis' work. I'm a big fan of his work. I've said it before, I probably own, like, 90% of everything he's written. I, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty big fan of his, but... I also have to say that he is part of the reason why I stopped collecting Marvel. And it's not out of anything he did specifically, it's just fatigue. You know, we get fatigued from the same voices, and especially when those voices only have a couple of voices, you know? Where Bendis has a very distinct style, you could point it out. You know, you could just you could read a line of dialogue and be like, oh yeah, that's that's something Bendis wrote, or somebody who was heavily inspired by Bendis wrote this. And so I was a little bit trepidatious about him coming on, and uh, when I saw everything about him coming on, I'm like, okay, you know, just as long as he stays away from Superman, I am fine. He could, uh, you know, give him a Zatanna book, have him morph Zatanna into uh, his new take on Jessica Jones, whatever. Uh, do whatever you want to do, just stay away from Superman. But then, of course, <laughs> just a few months later, he's taking over Superman. And uh, I was a little uh, off put. I, I, you know, not only because of the fatigue, but also I was, you know, a big fan of Dan Jurgens and the uh, Tomasi and, and Gleason runs. Uh, though, they, you know, they were, they were, at this point, not spectacular. They were still solid. I still enjoyed them, um, which is, all, is really all you can ask for with uh, comics these days, is just enjoying them. Uh, they don't need to rock your socks, necessarily. It just needs to be something you can read and not feel like you just, you know, threw four or five dollars in the toilet. Sometimes it's both, I don't know Sometimes it's neither But I was a little bit nervous about it But it wasn't because I was afraid of how he was going to depict Superman It was more the way he was going to depict Lois uh, Mendes' women uh, Snarkbots They're robots that snark at each other, that's it uh, There's really no depth um, I mean, you look at like Maria Hill Who appeared in like every single Marvel comic for like a five-year stretch I mean, every single comic, they would have at least a panel where Maria Hill would stick her head in, say something snarky and sarcastic, and go away. Or, or the characters would have to go to Maria Hill so they can get permission to do superhero things 
only to have her snark at them. They snark back, and then they go do what they were going to do. It's just such a pain in the ass. And uh, I was afraid that that was what we were going to get for Lois. And we kind of, kind of have, kind of did. Yeah, it's kind of a snarky Lois thing. And uh, it didn't take him long to bring in Amanda Waller as his DC equivalent to Maria Hill. So Lois has someone to snark back and forth with. Um, not my favorite run. Not my favorite run. Uh, I, I did a, a Patreon exclusive uh, several months ago where I was trying to catch up on my Superman reading, and boy, oh boy. Uh, I, you know, it's weird. It's Part of me enjoyed it just for, I don't know, maybe it was just the familiarity, but then it was just like, wow, this is a little bit much. It's like the, the hail on a tin roof sort of a thing where it's like you're just getting pelted over and over and over again, and any time... Anytime Bendis is writing something, you know there's going to be guest stars. And it's like, okay, well, this one, we got Batman. Now we got Flash. And now we got Naomi. It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> Just tell a story. Uh, we don't need all these guest stars. And uh, and all they're going to do is be sarcastic to one another. It's not my favorite. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily close to dropping it simply because I do have this long, uninterrupted run. I mean, even just the, the Superman title, I, I, my, my complete run goes back to the mid-70s, and it's just hard for me to reconcile that I'm going to drop this, because just like with the New 52, when I walked away, I had to go back and get everything again, you know? And it wasn't as easy uh, as it would have been had I just kept clicking that Buy It button on DCBS every month. But that's kind of where I stand um, with uh, Superman, my fandom, over the past... Quarter century plus 30, 30-ish years almost um, A lot of famine to feast and back to famine again A lot of ebb and flow But, uh, you know, that, that's comics And uh, at the end of the day, I still love this character And I, uh, I'm still invested in him I, I might not like what they're doing now I might, I probably won't like what they're doing next year But uh, uh, we'll see what that all turns out to be I've avoided, purpose, purposefully avoided uh, any kind of news on that Because I really just... Life's too short to be angry about stupid crap like that, so I, I've kind of, <laughs> kind of divested from that. And any uh, any opportunity I have to not go to Bleeding Cool is a good one. So there's that. But this was my time with Superman. This is Superman and me, me and Superman, uh, my life as a super fan up to this point. And uh, I, I'd like to hear from you guys, if uh, especially regarding Superman, because I, I might continue doing a... Side series like this Where I do talk about my fandom Over a particular franchise Or character or property uh, Over at Remarvel I'm planning on doing something like this With the X-Men So I can go through my, my X-Fandom And just uh, you know, kind of give a lay of the land So anytime I'm referring to a part of my fandom I can just say Hey, you check out this one episode So you don't have to go digging through the archives <laughs> And uh, that'll be if, if you're interested, of course Which I presume nobody would be But uh, that's neither here nor there so, if you want to reach out and tell me about your Superman fandom, how you discovered the character, were you taken in by the death like I was? When did you leave? When did you stay? When did you come back? Did you go back and collect everything you missed? All that good stuff. You can reach out to me at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or uh, it's probably a lot quicker, easier, and you're more likely to get a reply if you check me out on Twitter at Ace Comics. Uh, the show is at uh, Cosmic T-Mill. Reggie is at Reggie Reggie. The show site is at chrisandreggie.com. And definitely let me know if you uh, enjoy these even more rambly <laughs> episodes of the program here where there is less of a format and more just uh, off-the-cuff chatter and uh, 
It's more likely I'm going to say something really stupid during one of these episodes, so if you really want to hear me say something dumb, then this is probably the route to go. But uh, I do want to thank you so, so much for hanging out and uh, discussing this character who is very, very important to me and hopefully very important to you as well. So long for now. See ya.